This is the Gallinach Masters Cycling Podcast. I'm Norman Blissett, your host for the show. Gallinach Masters Cycling is a global community of 50 years and older cyclists who support each other to love life through riding our bikes. Each week we share inspiring stories from our riders around the world, showcase great places to ride our bikes and give tips to help you get fitter, healthier and more confident on the bike. Welcome everyone to the latest Gallinac Master Cycling podcast. Delighted as always to welcome my co-host Foggy. How are you doing today, Foggy? Kia from New Zealand. Yes, very well, thank you. The sun is shining. Um, it's morning time here in New Zealand, so it's all good. Yeah, it's dark here, but we, we, yeah, the weather the weather's turning. I can feel sense spring in the air. So, yeah, live de- yeah, definitely feeling optimistic. Yeah, sense autumn, mate. The, the temperatures are changing definitely. Yeah, we're just we're yeah. just opposite, aren't we? And, and exactly, yeah, we're just opposites. Yeah, yeah. So um, you're sending us winter now. <laughs> You can have it. I'm fed up with it. Yeah, thanks. Completely fed up with it. But yeah, your winters are a bit different to the winters we have in the southeast. Oh, a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit harder, I suspect. Although it was, yeah, it was pretty snowy last week. But that's the, that's the exception. It's just the, it's the, it's the continual grey, damp, cold. Yeah. Anyway, I say that every podcast. Yeah, no, it's every time. Yeah. Drawn, yeah. drawn back and drawn back into. It. Anyway, we had a great reaction to last week's podcast with the with the tandem wow team of cat dixon and Raz marston so if, if you haven't listened to that go back and listen to that that was that was a fabulous episode wasn't it foggy it was yeah superb really good and we're going to continue the tandem theme tonight and indeed in our next podcast as well but tonight tonight we are going to have an interview with richard uh, peplo who is a uh, Big tandem enthusiast, as you'll hear in a in a few minutes, uh, and he's he's also written a lot about cycling and, and cycling his tandem, and spent many years in the cycling industry. So he's 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 yeah. a he's a dedicated cyclist and tandem uh, rider in particular. And as I say, we'll hear more from him in a few minutes. But before that, Foggy, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Yeah, so I've had an interesting uh, few days. Just been compiling some. Um, uh, some material together to to launch a program um, to engage adult uh, or the older demographic, as I guess are, you know, the masters riders. Um, I call it cycling uncovered, and I, I've I've done this several times before, but this is uh, it, it's something I want to do for myself now regionally. Now I'm sort of moving away from the national sports body, um, and I've launched it locally um, just to see if we can attract some some people onto it. Um, and already with it, within, I put it out on the Facebook pages yesterday and within, within minutes I had seven people sign up, so which is great. So, you know, anything between six and 12 people for, for each, for each course is great. I basically just, it, it's, it's a modular type course that you can dip in and out of. So I call them cogs. So cog one would be basic maintenance and how to look after your bike, for example. Yeah. So hopefully generate a bit of interest there. Good. And for, if anyone's listening that's interested, where can they find out about it, Foggy? 
Um, they, they, it, well, it's a New Zealand-based thing, but you can actually um, either message me, personal message me, or you can you can uh, probably view some of it through Recreational Riders New Zealand, but you've got to uh, be a member of that. And, of course, we, we're keeping that quite tight to New Zealand at the moment. Um, and, but definitely um, you can you can message me or email me. Um, there's a, I've actually got an email set up for it, which is recreationalriders at gmail.com. So if, if you want more information as to how it works and how it's set up and, and, and you know, it's, it's actually quite cool because what it does is it attracts – it attracts the, the the demographic, which are often really hard to engage with, which are the older adults that you know that uh, that we want, and potentially sometimes the ones that are most in need of training. So yeah. Anyway, excellent. Well, good luck with that, Foggy. That, that yeah, that kind of relates nicely to what I've what I've been up to as well. I, get, I managed to get out a couple of times, but I've been getting my bikes kind of in that spirit of winter's coming to an end let's you know let, let's get the bikes ready. ready for yeah <laughs> so i've been doing starting with my my road bike so the the um change the headset and put on a new chain done done all that clean you know did a proper clean of the um of the cassette uh, so oh. yeah these and and they sound well they, are, they and in some ways they are quite technical but actually once you know what you're doing pretty straightforward to do and i've discovered these uh, these videos on G- GCN, which is uh, um, I can't remember what it stands for. Anyway, just if you just go look up GCN, Global Cycling Network, Global Cycling Network, yeah, look up their um, their videos. They've got a fantastic, basically everything that you need to know about maintaining your bike. They do a short video yeah. and they just walk you through it. So it's um, it's it's really good. But my um, yeah, I've got a Canyon Ultimate road bike, which I which I really like. But there's a bit of a design. F- it, but I don't know if it's a design flaw. It's probably more. In fact, it is more me than the than the design. <laughs> is that because I because I chose a, a small frame, so it's it's it fits me perfectly, but it's the size below the size that I should really go for, right? Um, and it means that my 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 head sits kind of over the, especially when I'm going hard. Head sits over the head the yep. headset, and I drip sweat onto it, especially when I'm <laughs> when I'm doing right. some hard efforts. And it means that the top part of the headset. That that's it's only lasted six months since the since wow. the last one. I, I, when I when I took it out, it just disintegrated as I was yeah. levering it out. So salty um, fluid, yeah. mate. It's uh, yeah, not, not like seawater. Yeah, not designed for sweaty Scots like me. No. I'm trying to pump out the um, pump out the watts. Um, yeah, so that so that's um, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Um, okay, so let's um, let's go into the interview with Richard. I gave a bit of an intro. There at the beginning, Richard's a really keen tandem rider and done all sorts of fabulous rides on the tandem. So let's hear from him now. Richard, tell us about your first ever time on the tandem. What was that like? Uh, well, there's a couple of memorable experiences. I think that to go back to my time at university, Edinburgh University, and one was that there was a um, a school for the blind just down the road, and they had a sort of permanent invitation to members from the, of the cycling club, university cycling club, to go and be the person on the front of uh, of their their fleet of ramshackle tandems to give the uh, you know to give the blind or partially sighted folk on the back um, you know a, a bit of fun, and their fun seemed to revolve mainly around going down multi-storey car parks 
um, in the, on the university campus when they were empty because uh, they just loved the sensation of between big solid blocks of concrete whizzing by them. They could just kind of sense there was something there and they thought this was great. The downside, of course, is that, that, that we had to labour up the multi-storey car park in the first place. Are there uh, any, so any multi-storey car parks in particular that you favoured? Uh, this was, it was on the, uh, uh, is it the, I forget the name of the campus now, at uh, in Edinburgh University. Um, forget the name of it, down... down uh, oh, King's uh, Buildings. King's Buildings, that's the one. King's Buildings um, uh, campus, yep. Um, and I, yeah, so that was kind of, that was one, but perhaps more relevant to, uh, if you like, serious tandeming was um, a friend at university who was comparably fit to myself and we're both pretty darn fit and we thought you know we're going to try doing and we're doing quite a lot of racing we thought we should try doing a bit of um, a bit of racing on the on the tandem because there were there were some folk in the club a couple who uh, were were doing sort of setting records on on tandems um, and they're all what you might class fairly soft records um, but the club was very supportive of that sort of thing so they said, right, you know, why don't you have a you two have a go? And it was a prime example of how two plus two on a tandem made three. Because <laughs> we just didn't gel. We had everything we just did was we just wanted to do the opposite. He wanted to pedal considerably slower than I did. He would have been cho- he would have chosen to break at an entirely different time to me. He would always want to be changing gear at a different time, go around a bend in a different way. It just didn't work. We just we just didn't gel together. On our own, we're both very competent, very fit, but put us together and it didn't really work. Uh, so that was a, a failure. By contrast, the most relevant first experience, which is relevant to my, my current situation, is with my, my um, current wife, Ruth, um, who uh, decided early on in our relationship that if she wanted to spend much time with me, she'd have to get involved in cycling. And if she wanted to get involved in cycling and enjoy it, then she really ought to try a tandem because otherwise, you know, it just wasn't going to be enjoyable for the typical experience of any couple out on solar bikes. You have the guy on a normally considerably more expensive bike, cruising along, getting frustrated, you know, just waiting for the wife, the lady at the back, typically, uh, on a much inferior bike, going trying considerably harder, but just not not keeping up, and it's just a an, you know ideal um, source of frustration for both parties, um, and it it can be avoided, and the best way to avoid it is with a tandem. So my missus said we should try it. We tried it. Uh, she really enjoyed it, and we went on from there. It was fantastic. Fabulous. I suppose if you if you're doing that now, then because of e-bikes, you, you know, there's another option there now, isn't there? I mean, we're here to talk about tandems, but it's just interesting that um, you know your, your experience of getting into it was to to bring some equity, I suppose, into the cycling mm-hmm. experience, and maybe e-bikes now offer a offer a different opportunity. But anyway, that's by that's that's by the by. So what you, you're starting to tap into or get into the sort of difference that tandem riding is making to makes to your life so yeah, share, share that with us what 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 does it give you well the most obvious result is i ride my solar bikes less um yeah basically if there's a nice if, if it's a nice day 
then uh, Ruth will want to to join me, you know, to join me on a cycle, which means going out on the tandem um, more than more often than not, um, which is fine. Because I mean, I think particularly at present, um, I think Ruth's options for exercise are much reduced. Um, she's not a swimmer, not a runner, for example. Um, that any kind of gym-related stuff is is typically off bounds. So really, it's one of her one of her uh, uh, few sources of, of of decent exercise. So I think uh, you know current current day to day life it gives us if you like a government sanctioned source of exercise, but in more general terms, it basically is uh, a great opportunity for shared experiences. And as the saying goes, you know, whatever whatever direction your marriage is going, a tandem will take you there faster. Well, you know, the tandem just forces you to be together, to work together. You have to work as a team and enjoy the experience together. And that's tr- that's true at any time, but particularly true at present. Fantastic. So I know from reading some of your uh, your pieces that have been published that you've had a lot of amazing adventures and travelled tra- travelled around uh, large ch- certainly large chunks of Europe and 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 maybe beyond as well um, on the on the tandem. So what what are the highs and lows of your adventures so far? I know there's more to come, but yeah, so far. Well, I'll, I'll start with the lows so that we can literally end on a high. Um, but the lows tend to be weather-related, and uh, uh, particularly uh, heat is something that doesn't suit us, uh, particularly the Brits, particularly well. And there are times when we've been out in um, uh, in Alps, or in this case it was Pyrenees in particular, where the, the garments have been showing over 40 centigrade. Uh, and that's quite hot, and you really do wilt a little bit. So I'd done a route round. We'd been up Plateau Dubai, you know, not fine, and then we headed the other side of the valley and went up a, you know, a little known climb up up there, and it was just so hot. We were really wilting to the extent it's the only time that we've actually stopped at the top and and dunked our heads into a into a cold stream, um, feet and heads into a cold stream because we we were just wilting. Um, but I guess other lows could well be, uh, you know, also, also weather-related. Um, snow, for example, is also is also a bit of a challenge. Even when we put on studded tires to cope with really serious conditions, uh, there was one time that we were going up uh, the Lecht, which is the, the Cockbridge Tom and Tool Road, well known as being as being uh, one of the first to be blocked by snow as indeed it was this new year when we were there, it was indeed blocked by snow. But we pressed on and um, we got to within a few hundred yards of the top, but the blizzard, there was a blizzard, howling gale, snow was getting deeper and deeper, and we just had to, we turned around and had to go back beaten. Um, And then we went back a few days later when when it was a bit better and and did manage to get up to the top. Uh, So that was snow. doesn't even have to be particularly snowy, just just cold can make things miserable, if you like. And there was a particular day when we were in Blair Athol, again, around about New Year, when um, the, the car was showing uh, minus 14 centigrade. Um, 
when we set off. And I don't think it ever really warmed up from there because the sun basically didn't get above the uh, the hills as we were heading out towards uh, Loch Rannoch and the, the, the sun didn't get above the top of the hills. So it didn't get warmer. And because the roads were you know, not in ideal condition, you could never really go particularly hard to get yourself warmed up. So that was just a day that we started off cold and simply got colder. And that would really be a day that would pass us miserable and, and, and didn't really have any redeeming features, except that it allows me to um, you know, relay it on occasions such as this as a memorable day. Memorable day. Yeah, that... Um... I can just I can picture you on the on the tandem getting colder and colder and more and more miserable. The the joy of course is when you get off it and have a warm shower or a warm hot bath or afterwards then the the, the spirits lift at that point I guess. So so, so yeah, the, 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 these are some lows and I feel for you having gone through them. But yeah, what are the highs then? You have been to some amazing places and done fabulous climbs and routes. So what what are the real highs that you've experienced? Yeah, well, we've, I mean, we've had we've had several highs in this country, um, but we've also had quite, done quite a considerable amount of time in Pyrenees, Alps, and, and uh, Dolomites. And as you might imagine, there's plenty of opportunity for for highs there as well. But I think you know, particularly um, you know, ones that were classed, if you like, as an adventure, you know, a really memorable day because because it was an adventure. Um, would have to would have to be ones if you take one yardstick could be the quality and quantity of photographs you come back with if you, if you come back with a day when you've got so many just wonderful shots that you want to have um, on your your screensavers or, or whatever um, you'd have to say that uh, the called the nivellet would be nivellet nivelle um, in Italy would be one which uh, we would we plan to go, having having um, been spurred on by uh, either the book Mountain Higher, Mountain Higher, whichever one it was, that featured it. Um, and then we did it actually the month after the, the Giro d'Italia had been there, except the Giro stops partway up, and we went right further on than that, when there was a huge amount of snow. And in fact, there was so much snow that it um, we only actually got, uh, we got, one bend away from the very, very top. You could see it. It was just up there, not very far away. But there was a wall of snow about ten feet deep that we, 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 you know, we just couldn't get any further. So we, we did stop. But as kind of a memorable day, it was fantastic. There was a few other hardy cyclists up there to enjoy it. There was um, a vehicle came up that couldn't get up as far as we could because the road wasn't that possible. But it stopped lower down. Um, took some bags of stuff out, big bags of stuff out. And then a helicopter turned up, hovered overhead, put this stuff up, and it was basically taking provisions off to the refuge, which is a bit further up the hill that we couldn't that was in couldn't get to because because of the snow. And this helicopter did several trips backwards and forwards to that, taking them taking them provisions that they clearly hadn't had for for a while. Uh, so you know in terms of an overall adventure, it was it was dramatic and even even more than that, um, this particular valley had never, the Giro had never been up there before, and they want, they really had welcomed the Giro and wanted to make sure that the Giro knew they were welcome. And the amount of general pinkness that was going on all the way up the valley was dramatic. And 
there's lots of wee girls that clearly had, had now lost their little bike because it was stuck up at the top of a post, looking pink, you know, pink kids' bikes stuck on the post with welcome to the Giro's written all over it and, and that, that kind of stuff. So as a kind of overall memorable day with, you know, great memories, lots of unusual things, fantastic photographs, that was the one, even though technically we didn't get to the very, very, very top, but we, we got to just a few yards from it. Um, closer to home, I, I think one of some of our best experiences have probably been um, in uh, in Scotland, um, and in particular, I would say Cape Wrath, the road out to Cape Wrath. It's not a particularly long trip, um, but you have a you have the uncertainty of of getting across a small amount of water with the, uh, to start the ride out to the lighthouse, and you don't know when the ferryman's really going to turn up, but really sure how to contact him. It's all kind of was very uncertain. But anyway, he did turn up and there was a bunch of people there waiting to be taken across and then they get onto the minibus on the other side and get driven to there. And then there was us with the tandem. And he said, right, I've got to go across the other side to get the big boat. So I'll tell you what, why don't you come on the, on the little boat? And it was a little boat um, with you and the tandem uh, and his dog. Uh, and the tandem literally overflowed the ends of the boat when he went out there. Uh, get, we set, and we could then set off, and then he had to go back with the big boat, get everyone else on, take him across. So basically, we got to the lighthouse before everyone else did. So you had this bleak, desolate road um, all to yourself. There was just nothing, nothing going on at all. Um, and then you know, same thing, same thing on the way way back. So in terms of an adventure, I would say that was. One of the more memorable ones, not particularly because the you know because it was massively scenic, but it was just an adventure, and it was memorable. And I have a, a historical family interest in lighthouses, and there was a you know, really quite a quite a significant and, and, and memorable lighthouse up at the end. I think th- there is something about that that bleak Scottish landscape that is actually. And I, I'm quite sure how you would describe it, but it's it's almost it, there's almost a kind of hypnotic effect, isn't it, or a calming effect that you that that you that you get with it. Um, so it's, I agree, it's not particularly scenic, but it is it can be quite mesmerising. Um, but yeah, I love I love the thought of you in this handicap race against the against the minibus um, to the to the to the lighthouse, which you won. So congratulations, yes. congratulations on that. So I'm I'm sure as many of us cyclists have been doing over the last few months, thinking, planning, preparing for our first big adventure once we're, once we're let out of um, the little prison that we're all in, in at the moment. So what, what's yours? Yes, well, we've got uh, two, you know, this, well, three things in mind. Um, in terms of overseas, uh, we've done two extensive trips in the Pyrenees, two in the Alps, two in the Dolomites. I'm not to say that we've done everything we want to do there, but we've certainly you know, done enough for now. Um, but I did want to spend some time in the both the Austrian Alps and the Swiss Alps. And I've got I've got uh, everything you know, planned. I know the I know the roads I want to do there. Um, I've got my, my I've got my courses mapped out. Uh, it's just getting you know, when, when the uh, opportunity arises to get over there. Um, and, and one thing that uh, I've, you know, we've, we've certainly done more of recently is that uh, we like to find like lesser known roads. Um, 
because in, certainly in, in France and to a lesser extent Italy, you know, the best known climbs are, are best known because a significant race like the Tour de France has been over them. So there's lots of information, lots of books, you get lots of information. But actually, just very close to there, there are off the beaten track, there are considerably, in some cases, considerably more scenic roads, certainly more interesting, even more enjoyable, that no one really has heard of because no race can go over there. Um, and in fact, that's, I think, going to be particularly the case in Austria and in, in Switzerland because, you know, the races the, the, of, for the tours of Austria, Switzerland, for example, they don't have anything like the status of the tour or even the, even the Giro. So the the research available to, to plan a route is considerably less. So actually just by its very nature, I will be, I will be doing, we will be doing roads that are less well known, if you like, but no less, no less enjoyable. And there are some fantastic little roads from the, the, the few places I have found it to, to, to research. There are just some fantastic roads um, there that will, will I'm, I'm really looking forward to do. Uh, I think, in, but in this country, I, I would say that the, the place that we perhaps haven't done much of yet is Wales, and I certainly I know there's some really challenging climbs to be done there. By the way, it might be obvious that we do like to do challenging climbs on our, on our tandem. Just doesn't that won't suit everybody, but it's uh, it's what it's what turns us on. So I, I certainly, if we're if we're uh, if our first major foray has to be uh, domestic, then it will be into Wales. I think we've done pretty much every challenging road that we want in uh, in Scotland, uh, even you know, uh, Lake District, Yorkshire, um, Devon, Cornwall. Uh, there's not a lot there that I, I feel unfulfilled, whereas Wales there certainly is. Well, let's hope you can get to both Wales and to the Austrian Alps very, very, very soon. They both sound like a more, more amazing adventures. And um, am I right in thinking that you've only ever been? Because you talked there about a lot, a lot of your cycling adventures are, are around climbs and some quite steep climbs. And so, am I right in thinking that you've only ever been defeated once by a climb? That's right. That's one known as uh, Scanupia in Italy, which we did from our base in Riva del Garda, and the sign at the bottom says 40% gradient. Um, and it's not 40% all the way, but there certainly are bits of it. There are, there are, um, there will, will be like that, I would say. But its problem was not the steepness so much. It's just that at that sort of steepness, as you might imagine, you do need to be getting out of the saddle, regardless of how low a gear you have, you're going to need to get out of the saddle. And the problem with that is that it was a, uh, kind of semi-polished concrete and we were just getting wheel spin on it and I couldn't think of a way to to, to get up. Um, I certainly couldn't do it seated. Uh, we had to get out the saddle. We were getting wheel spin. I, I was, you know, we, we, was, we were just stumped. So we had to walk quite some, quite some parts of it. Now, bear in mind, um, you know, other roads that we've done that, 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 that have not defeated us, that, that you might say are, are steep, you know, Motorola in, in Italy, Zonkelen, uh, here, Rhinodes, Hard Knock Passes, 
um, to, to name just a few. We've, we've, we've managed all those with, with not quite with ease, but it's certainly not been, you know, it's not been um, impossible. Uh, but this is the only one that we simply could not clean, as I say. We just could not get out without, up without putting our feet down. There are clearly times when we've felt, you know, gosh, I wish this climb would you know, end. Um, and perhaps we'd wanted to sort of stop and, and take a picture, but we don't. We have a policy, we don't stop on the way up. So as an example, um, there was a, a time that we were, we were uh, going up, I forget the name of it now. This is one you'll have to edit. Tom Simpson, don't you? Right. So there was, uh, as an example, there was a time that we were going up the, the classic side of Vontu, and there is a Tommy Simpson memorial about a kilometre or so from the top. Well, we, we had to get to the top first and then come back down to take a picture at that memorial, then go back up the top because we're heading on down, down off the north side. I mean, the, the sensible thing to do would have been to stop on the way up and take the picture. But no, we don't stop on the way up. So we had to get to the top first and then come back, back down and take a picture. Well, if it's any comfort to you, I, a few years ago, I cycled up one two and did exactly that. I was just by myself, but I did exactly the same thing because um, there's something almost religious about not breaking the not breaking the climb. Um, so I com I completely completely get that, and I suppose I, I should I should categorise or, or define defeated as as the fact that you actually had to stop and get off the bike and push, as opposed to not being able to get to the top because you still you still got, you still got to the. Uh, at the top. Uh, we did get yeah. to the top and it wasn't worth it at all. There's nothing, I mean, there's a few houses on the way up and then the, the, the concrete just kind of peters off into a bit of a farm track and that's it. It was extremely dull and really not worth getting to. But a great story to be able to tell. Indeed. Richard, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to talk to you and really, really enjoyed your, your stories and hope you can be an inspiration to listeners to to discover tandem cycling. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. Well, Foggy, that was that was some some series of stories about riding tandems in all sorts of different places and conditions. Yeah, he's a fascinating chap, um, and he's obviously ridden just a few k's in his lifetime, hasn't he? Yeah, it certainly has. I like. I I love the. May have mentioned this actually in last week's podcast about the what he said um, about having the right pairing and the right teamwork yeah. on the tandem, and he had this 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 phrase of that his first experience of tandem writing with a you kind of university friend was two plus two makes three because they yeah, no, they both wanted to be at the front <laughs> they both want, you know they'd want to be in different gears gears and yeah recipe for disaster. Oh, it, it, it's um. I've seen it um, with um, with the para cyclists, and when they're trying to match up the pilots, um, you know, because obviously the pilot's the one on the front and the stoker's the one on the back. That's how we see it uh, here. Um, but you've got to have a good match. At the end of the day, if, um, if the pilot doesn't suit the stoker, then you you're all over the place. And that's what he was saying. And it's, it's um, complete complete mismatch. It's like somebody being a pillion passenger on the motorbike. If they lean the wrong way at the wrong time, you, you know, you, you mess it up big time. So. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and some of the trips that they've they've done that um, some of these claims 
I, mean, I have to, I have to confess, I've never written a. Have you written a tandem before? Uh, I I actually have, however, um, on my own. Okay. Um, so it, it's a bit of a lie, really. I, I have actually. I used to own one um, when I ran my business in the northwest of England. Um, so when when we ran tracks, I I, I got a, a tandem, a, a mountain bike tandem that, that people could hire and take out into the forest on the forest uh, trails. Not not for um, no, for, not for those sort of single track stuff. We're actually fire trails, so I, I've ridden it. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm like the same on a motorbike. I, I like to be in control of it. I couldn't be the stoker, um, and being a pilot, it, it would frustrate me anyway if somebody's not doing what I think they should be doing on the back. So maybe I'm not the best tandem rider or person to be with on a tandem. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, it'd be interesting to get the perspective of proper tandem riders on it. But I, thinking about it from my perspective, I'd either have to be completely in charge um, of it with someone who just sat behind and and didn't have an awful lot of input, or I would just be completely the opposite at the back. I think it's that. um, Yeah. You could or 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 I suppose if you get and and maybe you know going back to Cat and Raz last week and to Richard and his wife, you just find someone that you're just naturally in tune with and and it all you know it all works. But that that's a bit hit or miss, isn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, we, I've got really good friends who who ride, um, you know, like thousands of kilometres on, on in here in New Zealand on their tandem, and they're 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 married, and you know they they um it's their thing. I mean, they love doing it. So they've got the synergy there. I'm not sure that myself and my wife would, would, would have the same synergy on a tandem. We're both love riding together, but we love riding independently of each other, if that makes sense. So I think it's a, you know, it's unique to, it's certainly unique to some people that they can do it. Definitely. There'd only be one outcome if my wife and I went on a tandem and that would be the lawyers <laughs> would be getting involved. That's for sure, and, I, and I, you know, I have to say it would be entirely down to my unreasonable behaviour on the tandem as well. That would be, um, so I'm going to face up to that straight. Yeah. I think I think I could see us doing it for fun and on a short trip, but I think I, I don't I don't see us. Maybe, maybe I well maybe I should give it a go and see. Maybe I'm being a prophet of prophet of wrong prophet of doom. I'll um, tell, you, tell you what I wouldn't mind having a go at is that when he mentioned early on in the piece about the car park racing on tandems. Um, I mean, that the car park racing is a thing anyway, isn't it? In terms of, uh, you know, some uh, some cities have it really well set up and some do it sort of underground, et cetera, et cetera. Excuse the pun. But I think that would be, um, I think it'd be pretty hairy, mm. you know, trying to get one of those um, very long, heavy bikes around those corners. But I think it'd be quite good fun as well. Yeah, you'd have yeah. to be, that'd be pretty good teamwork for that, wouldn't it? Oh, definitely. You'd have to get that right. <laughs> slip around those, um, those corners. I also liked, he mentioned the ride that he did up to Cape Wrath up in the north of Scotland. And yeah. it kind of stood out for me because it's somewhere where I'd really like to go and do that that ride. But I, just, I, love, this, I love this notion of him racing, you know, getting across early and then, he, he was, they weren't really racing, but he probably was in his head racing the uh, the minibus <laughs> <laughs> over yeah. to the over to the lighthouse. Yeah, now yeah, I mean he's obviously been around a lot of places, in, you know, across the northern hemisphere, particularly, um, which is which is fabulous. I mean, I, I know people that do that sort of stuff, but they they generally do it just around New Zealand. You know, I'm not I've I've not really spoken to many people. Um, 
that have been on tandems around the world. So the, the, the last pod- podcast and then listening to listening to him this time around is is, is pretty cool for me to, to hear all that stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh well. So thank, thanks to Richard for uh, for oh, definitely jo- yeah. joining us with that. We also in in the last podcast, Foggy, we did. Uh, I, d- I did kind of throw on you these statistics, didn't I? About yeah, uh, the number of bikes in different countries, and you were you were quite keen on India. I seem to recollect. Yeah. <laughs> so I went I went back and looked up the stats, and uh, I have to disappoint you. India weren't aren't third on the list. Oh, they're only sixth. I've got oh, the numbers they? here. Right. Yeah, they're only only um, sixth with thirty million bikes. So who's third then? Right. Oh, I do dear. know the answer this time. Give it. What was number one? Was China? China then US. USA. Well, let's go. I, I think it's got to be in the Asian uh, area of the world. I think. I think Taiwan. It's Japan. Not far. Oh, off. well, it wasn't far away. So yeah, J- yeah Japan with with seventy two million. And um, okay, right. So here's another test for you. Okay, I'm throwing this on you because we haven't prepared for this, have we? Um, no. So, can you name the top three countries in the world who have the highest proportion of bikes to population? Right. So, so where would have? Le- I guess you've got to just look at somewhere that's got minimal traffic or minimal cars, and they use bikes more. Maybe. And a small population, probably. And a smallish population. Just to give you a bit yeah. of a clue. Maybe the Pacific Islands. Somewhere in the Pacific. No. I'll I'm give gonna in. give you a, I'm gonna give you a bit of a clue with it. The, the on, three then. countries all border each other. I don't know. You're gonna have to give me a clue, mate. Okay, all right. Another clue or you're gonna have to tell me. So in, in third place is Germany. Oh yeah, okay. They right. where there are That's surprising seventy five bikes per hundred people. Uh, followed uh, or and, and ahead of them, just ahead of them are Denmark. Uh, with yeah. eighty bikes per hundred people, and right at the top of the list, and this this is what drew attention to me because after last week's podcast, somebody emailed to me and pointed this statistic out, and I went and looked at it. Right. Thought, yeah, that's right. Top of the list is the Netherlands. Yeah, and they, okay, they that makes sense. They have effectively one bike per person. It's ninety nine bikes per yeah per hundred people. And I've been I've not been to Denmark, um, although I've seen lots of p- pictures. In fact, um. Suzanne, who was on a couple of podcasts back, talked about cycling around Denmark and Copenhagen, how you know, how, how well set up it is for, for cycling. And I've seen lots of videos and pictures and so on of people cycling in Copenhagen. But yeah, and around the Netherlands as well. Yeah, I should have picked been, that one. That was, that was too yeah. obvious, mate. That's why I didn't yeah. pick it. It's too obvious. Yeah. <laughs> I was a bit surprised that Belgium's not there because Belgium, of all, yeah. you know, of, of, all, of all the countries in the world that are... You know, enthusiastic about cycling in Belgium from a sporting point of view, anyway, is completely nuts. Yeah. And Fra- France, yeah, you know, Belgium, it's, pr- it's not quite. Well, I'm not sure. It's, it's certainly up there in their top sports: cyclocross and uh, road cycling, and even track cycling. It's really popular there. I think what we should do for next time is try and find out the figures of um, how many bikes there are actually in the world, and how many cars there are across the world. Because yeah, I, I know look, that the bikes are growing, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's def- I think it's, um, yeah, there's, there was over, I think it was, some, it's a bit of an estimate, but getting towards one and a half billion bikes, but I'm not sure yeah. what the number of cars are. And, and I think, as I said last time, that the proportion of, in manufacturing terms anyway, has um, gone significantly towards towards bikes. Okay, yeah, well, definitely. we can, yeah. 
we can delve deeper in, into that in future <laughs> future episodes. So thank hey, you, good. thank you, Foggy. Thank you as always for um, joining me on this on this podcast, and enjoy the rest of your week. Yeah, no worries. It's always a pleasure. See you soon. Yeah.